You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Good morning, church. So good to see you all here this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 10. We're going to continue our series uh, through the Gospel of Mark. This morning we're wrapping it up. Last Sunday, God just moved in such a powerful way. Just moved in this place in hearts. And uh, I love it when we can just submit our plans and our agenda to King Jesus, right? He's the best leader. He's the head of this church. And last Sunday, that was definitely evident. All week long, I've just been saying, God, do it again. But even in that prayer, it's, it's good that we don't allow the past to then inform our, our future. It's truly like children submitting themselves to the Father, and, and every week is going to be unique in its own. Um, this morning, I want us to recognize King Jesus coming near. This series has been called The Kingdom of God is Near because that's, that was the banner um, over the, the banner title over Jesus' public ministry. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And so central to the kingdom coming near is King Jesus himself coming near. And I want us to recognize him this morning. You know, at the time of Jesus' arrival on the planet, people were anticipating a Messiah. They were looking for this Savior, for a Messiah to come. And yet, even though that was the case, even though, even though there, there was this, this brewing anticipation of centuries within the house of Israel, still many did not recognize him. Many did not recognize him. They didn't have the eyes to see. They didn't have the eyes to recognize. And we've talked, talked about that a lot over the last several weeks. I just want us to see King Jesus this morning coming near into the most intimate places of your heart, into the pains that you carry, into the disappointments that you carry, the hurts that you've faced in this life, King Jesus comes near into those places and he shows us a way out. It's through the cross, him taking upon himself the pain of humanity, ultimately death, but not staying there, showing us victory. I want us to recognize King Jesus. We have to have eyes to see though, And oftentimes, hurts, disappointment, offenses, pain in this life, they blind us from recognizing King Jesus. Kind of reminds me of an experience me and my wife had 13 years ago. Right after we got married, we got to go on a honeymoon to the nation of Guatemala, nestled there between Mexico and Honduras. And it was a gift from some friends that we have from Guatemala. Their gift to us was a honeymoon in their beautiful country. It was amazing. Um, just that's a, like a cue to you. That's a great gift to give somebody a, a honeymoon. So <laughs> they were still up in the States for our wedding. So when we arrived in the nation, they had everything set up, like people to pick us up at the airport and all throughout our, our itinerary there, like uh, um, transportation and, and cars and, and ways to get around. So when we got to the airport, we didn't know who was going to be picking us up. It was just that that, that t- typical way of uh, getting, getting to the, the arrival gates and you're, you're looking for your driver. And oftentimes the, the, the drivers at the arrival gates, they have their signs. They're bold signs with big, bold, black letters on, on white placards 
saying the name of the person that they're there to pick up. So that's what we anticipated uh, seeing as we arrived at the, arrived there at the airport. So we, we hop out of our hop out of customs and get out into the, into the lobby to the arrival gates area, and we're looking, we're, we're not seeing our name. We're anticipating either Meyer or Drew and Tanya Meyer, something to that effect, something very obvious, and we're, we're panning the room, <laughs> nothing. We don't, we don't see it. And we're like, oh no, we probably missed, something was probably missed in translation. We, we probably messed this up. We keep looking. All of a sudden, we see this guy standing off to the side, and he's grinning at us. He's smiling, friendly. So we start walking, inching a little closer to him, not wanting to freak him out or something. And we see written on his sign in pink highlighter, Meyer. That's right. His name, or our names were written in pink highlighter. We couldn't see it from afar, but as we inched closer, we saw very clearly, okay, that's Meyer. And we said, hello. We, we started to greet him. His name is Alvaro. And Alvaro became our driver for the week and just an amazing man. But we didn't have eyes to see it. I believe even at the time of Israel, there was this anticipation, but also some ill-informed, preconceived ideas about what the Messiah would look like. And still many missed it. For the Pharisees, they were looking for this one who kept the law perfectly. And so in Jesus, they didn't see that from their perspective. For the Sadducees, they were looking for this charismatic, influential uh, political leader to raise Israel out of oppression from Rome. Then they would know that the kingdom of God is near. When they saw that one who continued to call out that Roman oppression. Then there was the Zealots. The Zealots was this kind of new movement of nationalists, Israelite nationalists that rose up maybe 20 years before Jesus' public ministry. And they were looking for this strong, valiant military leader. This one who would be forceful in his reign, overthrowing Roman oppression. And they didn't see that in King Jesus either. So I want us to look here at Romans chapter 10. Jesus continued to demonstrate that his kingdom was different. Verse, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. That's, what you, that's how you know leadership in this world. Ones who with a strong hand, with force, exercise their authority over the peons that they rule over. But he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's King Jesus, central to this kingdom of God coming near and turning the ways of this world on head. Jesus was so subversive to the assumptions that, that carried the day during his public ministry. He was, as, as the prophet Isaiah said, he was the suffering servant that gave his life in love and who ultimately rose from the dead, just like he predicted. He called it. He said he was going to give his life, and then he conquered death, and he did it. For the Pharisees, he did fulfill the law. He was the ultimate fulfillment of all the requirements of the the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. For For the Sadducees, 
He did carry that charismatic authority that caught the attention of the nation. For the zealots, he showed that he was not submitted to any kingdom of this world, but his kingdom was from a different world. He was completely other. And so this morning, I want you to recognize King Jesus in the midst of the the real trials that you face, the real difficulties that you face, the pain that we all face and walk through in this life. Jesus came near. And he demonstrated his nearness by taking on our pain. He is the great leader that we all long for. There was this brewing longing in, in the house of Israel for freedom from oppression, freedom from pain. And has that left humanity to this day? I don't believe it has. I believe we all have this longing for a great savior, for a great hope, for a rescuer to redeem us from the pain that we find ourselves immersed in in this life. So King Jesus is one who came near by taking on our pain and ultimately death and showing his victory. Anytime we feel pain in this life, we're reminded of the curse. Pain in all of, all of its forms, it, rem- it points us to a savior. We're brought into this world through pain and oftentimes pain is a common part of our life here on this earth. Pain often then accompanies even our departure. But Jesus came as a suffering servant to acquaint himself with our pain and then burst out in victory. So let's look at another instance. Just move a few verses further in the story. Mark chapter 11. I want want you to see how Jesus immersed himself into the brewing pain and frustration and disappointment in Israel. Mark chapter 11, verse 7. It says, and they brought, so this is Jesus now coming into Jerusalem. You know, this entire time for three and a half years, he has been, he's been very um, submitted to the timing of the Father in regards to the, the revealing of himself as Messiah. He didn't want it to be too soon because he knew that would, um, that would turn the heads of religious leaders and ultimately uh, cost him his life. He wanted to be perfectly submitted to the timing of the Father. But here, we, he knows the time is, is coming too. And so he lets, he lets it happen. He knows that he's coming into Jerusalem at a time of great anticipation, the time of Passover. And he knows there's this brewing clamor about who he is. And many beginning to, to recognize him as the son of man, as, as the great rescuer. But yet he does it, he, even his, his uh, great, like the great revealing of Jesus in Jerusalem is different than what they would have anticipated. In verse seven, it says, and they brought the cult to Jesus. That's the cult of a donkey. And threw their clo- cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And they were recognizing it. They were seeing it. Not a king riding on a valiant horse. Not a military leader, but a humble Suffering servant coming riding 
on the colt of a donkey. That humble strength that many recognized. What were they saying? They were saying Hosanna. Hosanna literally means save now. Not all of them recognized Jesus as God, but they were beginning to recognize him as Messiah, even if it's just the tool of God to redeem them. So they're saying, hey, here's, here's our Messiah. Save us now, God. Save us from Roman oppression. Save us now. This is their cry for Messiah. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and they were saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's this, this Messiah. That's the voice of the oppressed, the heavy burden. And Jesus once again comes in a way that wasn't anticipated, coming in his humility, coming down low to the oppressed. But I think this is a beautiful picture, and this is what I want us to catch this morning. In his humility, riding on a donkey, he doesn't say, I'm gonna save you right now. Instead, what he's doing is he's leading the people to the, the ultimate place of pain, to the cross. So he comes down low and he says, please follow me. Follow me in your pain, in your oppression to the place of the cross. And I'm gonna show you victory. He doesn't immediately rescue them. And I think that's oftentimes where we get disappointed in this life when our rescuing is an instant. Instead, what Jesus is, King Jesus is even giving, getting our attention this morning and telling us is, follow me to the cross. That's the place where I take it upon myself. That's the place where I show you victory. Turn your eyes to the cross. He comes down low, not riding on a high horse, not demanding and forcing his authority over people, but instead, again, coming low. Okay, one more passage I want to show you. Mark chapter 14. And Mark chapter 14 is a long one. So go all the way to verse 60. So this is the night of Jesus' arrest. So after the Last Supper, after that prayer meeting in the Garden of Gethsemane, after Jesus is betrayed by Judas, they take him away, and they take him to the house of the high priest Caiaphas. And just listen to this interaction. He says, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? So they've been just throwing accusations about him, you know, his, his claims to potentially destroy the temple of blast, blaspheming God. He says, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ? So he just explicitly out, outright asks him, are you the Messiah? Are you the rescuer? Are you the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Anybody that tells you that the gospels don't explicitly portray Jesus as God, they haven't read the gospels. And this is the, the first of the four that were written. The, the, the account of Mark makes it very clear that Jesus saw himself not just as a tool of God, but as God himself. He says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the, cloud, or coming with the clouds of heaven. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the blessed. And the, and the high, he just 
blows a gasket or he loses it. And the high priest tore his garments and he said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Now look what happens to the king. This is the king of the universe. Like Messiah, King Jesus, the central focal point of the kingdom of heaven. Some began to spit on him. They covered his face. They struck him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And here it begins. Here it begins, like Jesus fully immersing himself in our pain. King Jesus, the one who had done no wrong, coming to the very place he created, being spat on, being beaten over the head, being mocked. And oftentimes in our reading of the Gospels, any of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, we oftentimes don't think about what happens next. This all came to life to me in my recent trip to Israel when I got to go to Jerusalem and right outside the, the, the old Jerusalem, the, the portion of the city that's called Old, old uh, Jerusalem, um, is this church that's ded- dedicated to this moment. It's the, the church of St. Peter's Triple Denial and historians believe it to be the, the actual house of Caiaphas, the, the house of the high priest here that we just read about. And what they discovered underneath this, this building, this structure, were these pits, like holding places, holding cells. And many scholars believe that this night, you'll read down to uh, Mark chapter 15. This is the night before Jesus' arrest. Mark chapter 15, verse one, it says, and, and as soon as it was morning... So from the night of Jesus' arrest till morning, Jesus was just held. And the question arises, where where was Jesus? Many believe that he was in this pit below Caiaphas' house. So we got to take this, there were no cameras allowed, no no pictures allowed, just to honor the, the sacredness of that space. And they led us down into this pit. And there was just this ominous, like loneliness to this pit. We read Psalm 88 in that place. And just think of the fulfillment of this in Jesus. He says, I'm accounted, I'm sorry, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You've put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. That is the place where Jesus was, in the pit being held there for 10, 12 hours until morning, until he could actually go before Pilate. So King Jesus isn't just familiar with your pain from a distance because he's all-knowing creator God. We have no reason to harden our hearts to God as to, as, as to this fact that he can't empathize with our pain that we face. He took, it, he took it upon himself and to a greater degree, a loneliness that we will never experience. So sometimes we entertain this lie and we allow it to gain traction in our minds and our hearts that God doesn't know my pain. But our king, he came near by being rejected openly by being thrown in a pit of loneliness. He came to his own, but they did not receive him. 
I believe there's, there's many aspects to our pain, but there's, this week I just felt led to address two specific types of pain that I, I just want to believe for breakthrough in our lives in this morning. And first is the loneliness, the pain of our loneliness. And I want to declare to you hope that in our loneliness, the king is near. And lo- loneliness is such a real thing in this common, or in our uh, common day, in our modern age. And, and loneliness is real for believers as well. It's not like when you surrender your life to Christ, like these, these aspects of our human plight just go away instantly. I know many times as we walk with Jesus, we feel bouts of loneliness. But it's important that we don't allow that loneliness to overwhelm us. Instead, we dwell on what is true, that we have one who went to the lowest places of loneliness for us and before us, and he's familiar with our loneliness. Just look at Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 through 16. It says, this high priest, speaking of Jesus, he understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, but yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us in our time of need. So in our loneliness, you can encounter King Jesus as one who experienced loneliness, So I think it's important to allow our loneliness to push us towards aloneness with God. Picture Jesus in the pit. He was alone there with the Father. There's an intimacy, I believe, we can encounter with God through loneliness. I believe right now in 2020, loneliness is so prevalent because of the isolation that we've We've set upon ourselves as humanity. So we see loneliness brewing time and time again. And then to, to magnify that, we're, we're numbed to admitting our loneliness because of pseudo-connections, because of connections through, through media. We can, tell ourselves, we can tell ourselves, oh, no, we're connected. We're not alone. But we don't push ourselves to the, to the real breakthrough from loneliness in Christ. We don't push ourselves to go to the cross And actually experience intimacy with God through him taking on our loneliness upon him. So I believe this creates a gaping hole in our hearts. It doesn't push us towards healthy, healthy fulfillment of those longings of the human heart. God has created us for authentic human connection. That's why we're so adamant about people, every single person being a part of a life group or being a part of a class. Like you're not meant to just come and be a part of a church and attend on a Sunday morning and sit in a seat and to be a nameless face. We don't want anybody to come and just be anonymous. We want everyone to be connected in real relationship. These are opportunities for us to connect on a deeper level. But there's a, a mystery to loneliness that oftentimes we don't we don't bring to God. It's a loneliness that's oftentimes found in these sorts of settings where you're surrounded by people and you can't put a finger on it. You're surrounded by people even all day long and you're in the marketplace and your comings and goings, but yet you feel like you're not connected to any of them. You feel like no one knows me. 
No one sees me. Surrounded by people, but yet you feel all alone. It's a common form of loneliness. It's fed by that lie that no one knows you. No one can empathize with you. No one knows your struggle. And I'll be the first to say that's a lonely feeling. Feels like you're in that pit. I remember when me and my wife graduated from college and got married, we moved out to Seattle, Washington and began to work in the marketplace. And for us, that was our first move away from home. Tanya went to Bible school for a couple of years after high school, so she moved away a little bit. But for the most part, me and my wife, we lived in the same town for 22 years of our, of our life. And that's all we had known was, was our hometown and our home church and our, our family and friends. And that, that's a cool feeling, you know, to, to be in, in a similar place and to have so many, so, such a, a rich community surrounding you. But then when you get launched out on your own, you, you can see maybe how, how uh, thin your, your foundation was. And all of these feelings of loneliness come brewing up. And what was so ironic for both of us that we put a finger on was, even though we were married, we felt individually such, a, such bouts of loneliness when we were out there at times. And there we were in a city of you know, three plus million people. And yet we felt all alone. As we began to press in and we began to realize that God could allow us to both create community and experience community away from home, we began to realize there was a depth of intimacy with God that we had never experienced and we wouldn't have experienced if we would have just stayed in our hometown. And so I encourage you this morning to, to look to King Jesus riding on that donkey coming to you in your oppression, coming to you in your loneliness and saying, hey, follow my lead. I'm gonna go to the place of ultimate loneliness. I'm gonna go to the place of ultimate oppression. Follow my lead. I'm gonna go before you. I'm gonna show you victory. And it's there Jesus hanging on the cross. He says, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Ultimately reaching the ultimate, like the lowest place of loneliness. But he doesn't stay there. Obviously, you know the story. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And there is victory through the cross. So the truth is this morning, and I'll declare it emphatically to you, the truth is you are known. You are known by God. He sees you. You're not an afterthought to him. Your burdens are seen by God. Your struggles are seen by God. You have one who is familiar with the pain that you carry, and he empathizes with your struggle. A second aspect of pain that I want to just address is, is the pain of rejection. And in our rejection, the king is near. In our rejection, the king is near. You know, in the West, we don't oftentimes experience the level of rejection that we read about in the Gospels. You know, this is, this is like the normal Christian life for some parts of the globe. Being mocked, being beaten, being thrown in a pit, being persecuted. We don't know what that is like. But yet, even in the West, we all have this desire to be accepted. Most all of us have a fear of rejection, if we'll be honest. 
But we have to know as followers of Jesus that light, the light that we carry is startling to the darkness around us. For some, it's even offensive. There are some that will shield themselves from the light of Christ in you. You've encountered something that is starkly different from anything else on the globe. And when they see Jesus in you, for some, it's offensive. For some, they they shield their eyes from it. And so there's a rejection that comes with following Jesus. We don't seek it out. We don't ask for it. It just simply will be. But in that rejection, if it's rejection from friends, from family, from coworkers, you can know that your Savior went before you. He was ultimately rejected to show you the way through rejection, through that pain of rejection, and show you victory. And one, one reason I felt like this was uh, pertinent, or I guess more, more relevant more than ever, and I guess I felt like just a need to address the pain of rejection, it's almost in, in a spirit of preparation. I believe that there's an increased level of rejection coming upon true followers of Jesus in the days to come. And I just want you to be ready. I want you to be equipped to recognize in those moments of rejection, when your neighbors don't accept you, when your parents don't accept you, when your friends don't accept you because of Christ in you, that you turn to King Jesus who was ultimately rejected before you are ever rejected and he shows you the way through. In those moments of rejection, we need to be able to keep our eyes on Jesus who took on He took it head on, the rejection that we face. We love people even when they revile us. We we speak truth even when the world doesn't want it. We live with convictions and values even when those convictions are misunderstood or not accepted by the world. So there's a really interesting paradox that I'm kind of revealing here that I want want you to, to catch. There's so many of these paradoxes in the kingdom. But on one hand, in the kingdom, we're called to be peacemakers. But the peace that God calls us to bring on the earth is not not a peace that you can find through diplomacy, through politics, through governments, through making a deal. The peace that God has called us to bring is by allowing King Jesus to rule and reign in hearts of, of men and women. That's the level of peace, so it's a deeper peace than any circumstance or exteriors. It's it's a peace that comes from that one thing being settled in the human heart. But there's there's another side to peace that's not often talked about, especially in the West. It's this theme that Jesus repeats, that the kingdom of God is also a divisive kingdom. So in one sense, the kingdom brings peace because ultimately it reconciles our human heart with the holy God. But ultimately, or inherently, the kingdom also brings division as well. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says it like this, do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. So this is the prince of peace. This is the ultimate like authority of all peace on the globe, amongst humanity. He says, no, but I'm actually, I've come to bring division. 
From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I believe that we need to be ready in this age. There's a, there's a brewing um, a brewing call for the church to get ready, to stand for truth. And I'm not talking about politics or government. I'm truly talking about the true bride of Christ standing for truth with convictions and values, being, being a people that are not so easily swayed by the, by the winds and the demands of this world. We need to get over being accepted by the world. I've heard that so often from the church as though our influence comes through posturing to this world. Our, our, our influence doesn't come that way. Our influence comes by an authority that God has placed upon our lives. We can fool ourselves into thinking that if we posture long enough, then maybe, maybe someday, the world will come to their senses. Now we need to ground ourselves in truth and allow truth to be spoken from a place of conviction and values, from a place of ultimately from an encounter. I'm talking about the plain and simple truths of God. That creator God has endued every human with value, with dignity. That human rights only come from a knowledge of God. That God created man and women uniquely and distinctly. And that, that can be valued in our day. That God created family. And the greatest venue for discipleship of a generation is a family. And there's only one way to God and it's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Sadly, those truths have become taboo in our generation. Those simple truths of the gospel, that he is the only way, those things get you, those things get you canceled in our current culture. They get you mocked. They get you reviled. But all the more, there needs to be this courage rising up in our hearts. That that is the truth that we stand for. That's the truth that we've encountered. That he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. And so I speak, to you, speak that to you just to equip you with a grace. In these days to come, when you are rejected for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of kingdom, again, we don't seek it out. You're not looking for it. It just is. It's the, the natural byproduct of being light in the darkness. Some darkness will turn. Some darkness will be offended and will shield themselves from the light. But when you are rejected, you look to this one who was first rejected for, for us and before us. And he ultimately went to the cross and showed us victory. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I want us to close. I want us to minister to pain this morning. King Jesus is near. He went before us. His nearness can be experienced in your pain, in your hurts. He's ultimately provided a way out for you. I know oftentimes... Oftentimes, pains keep people, pains and hurts keep people from experiencing the gospel. They've just, they've experienced too much. They've hurt, they've hurt too much. 
And this morning, I just want you to see King Jesus, the one who ultimately took that upon himself. If you'd all close your eyes, bow your heads in this place. I just talked about loneliness and rejection as two types of pain that Jesus took upon himself. But there's other types of pain pain as well. There's, There's physical pain. And obviously we believe it's by his stripes we are healed, that Jesus still heals, that ultimately he took upon himself the pain of physical issues as well. There there are the pains of, of unforgiveness. There are other wounds in our hearts as well that Jesus paid for on the cross, that he took upon himself, that he he is enough, he is sufficient for. And this morning I believe that God would want to bring some breakthrough to a few people this morning. You come into the house of God this morning and you, you have some, some real pains. You have some hurts. And God's giving you a way out. Not for that pain to just instantly leave necessarily, but for you to literally see the pathway out, which is beginning to fix your eyes on the cross fixing your eyes on the one who took it for you. And, and seeing that, ultimately he demonstrated he was stronger than that by being resurrected from the dead. That's what he showed. He's stronger than cancer in your body, stronger than migraines that you face, stronger than arthritis, stronger than hurts or rejection from people, stronger than words that people throw at you, stronger than loneliness. His resurrection demonstrated that he's stronger than all of that. So if you're here this morning and you'd say, Drew, I have some pains that I really want to see breakthrough in. I want to, in a fresh way, look to the cross in the midst of my pain. Would you raise your hand? I can just pray a prayer over you of grace in this hour. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you for your honesty. I knew that'd be the case. Like This is like the plight of humanity that Jesus came to pay for. So Lord, you saw hands raised across this place as as an act of faith. Lord, of children of God reaching out to their father, asking for grace. And Lord, you, you generously pour out grace to your children. That right now in this moment, they're facing pain. They're facing oppression. They're facing attacks from the enemy. Some are facing loneliness. Some are facing true physical ailments. This morning, as a church family, we look to the cross, not just as a symbol, but as a reality of King Jesus taking upon himself as the suffering servant, the pain of all humanity. And we activate faith this morning. I pray for grace upon every hand that was raised. Lord, there be a new level of faith to look to Jesus, to take their eyes off themselves and look to Jesus who took upon that pain, who took that pain upon himself. And so I pray there would be a breakthrough, a resurrection power breakthrough of healing in bodies, of healing to the deep wounds of our hearts, that Lord, people would be led into a new level of intimacy. Those that are experiencing loneliness, Lord, they would encounter 
a level of depth of relationship and intimacy with you, in aloneness with you than ever before, a contentment. I do pray for a deeper level of connection and relationships with others as well. Break down the walls maybe that they have up. Fear of being heard or whatever it is. Well, I just believe King Jesus is doing a work in hearts this morning. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.